Well, I pray that you have been and are being blessed with the ministry of Brian Sumner and uh, how he's challenged us. I would like to introduce to you uh, for the last time today, Brian Sumner. Wow, you guys came back? <laughs> hey, man, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Just uh, Lord, for using testimony, for using your word. God, for walking these aisles and ministering to God to your children. Lord, we just pray that even this next session, as we say, God, what next? Where are you leading? Goes, how is it personal with you? The Lord, you would speak, you would direct, you would lead. This is all in your hands, God. Let my words fall to the floor, but your words be bold, strong, loving, and compelling. In Jesus' name, we pray and say, Amen. Well, so, you know, we can track the steps pretty easy of where we've been. We don't want to be on the rooftop. We don't want to be in sin. We don't want to be like David unless we're turning to God as he did at the end of that story. Also, we see how Jonathan came alongside David to help him and to lead him. So we say, okay, Brian, we know we've got a mission. We know there's a statement. It is the Great Commission, not suggestion. Okay, we're going to be accountable. And I want to challenge you a little bit more. When you go home, even on the drive home, think where I live, in my family, who can I be accountable to, who at my church. I'm challenging you, reach out, maybe one or two, three people, friends, you're going to be able to pray for, write their names down, write their struggles, connect with them. It will bless you, it will bless your faith. But so where do we go into this third session and say, what does God have for us? And I just want to read this over us real quick and finish on a point, but in Matthew 28, 18, when Jesus gives us the Great Commission, you've got to realize these guys were walking with him. They were experiencing him. Now he's dead. He's resurrected. They're thinking, what's going on? And he shows up saying, all authority has been given to me. But he says in verse 19 of Matthew 28, and I'm just going to read it, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And what does he say at the end? And surely I am with you always, even until what? The end of the age. And what did he do next? He took off. He just ascended into heaven. I mean, he's died. He's resurrected. This is trippy. He's got marks all over his body. He shows up and says, I'm sending you into the world. The next moment, what does he do? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he takes off. I mean, what would you be thinking? Here's Brian coming out to speak. I mean, Pastor Rich is like, where is he? You'll be questioning who I am. Jesus literally told them he would never leave them nor forsake them. Yet, factually, biblically, we know that he took off. We have to ask the question then, who is he speaking of? Who is he pointing to? And we know the answer, the Holy Spirit. Ooh, what's he going to talk about now? Think about the Bible. I can say God Almighty all day. God this, God that. We see it all over the world and people receive it. Even within the church, we talk about God so much. We talk about Jesus so much, but as soon as you begin to speak about the Holy Spirit, people wonder where you're going. I mean, we have, he's this mystical force that, you know, gets on our food when we pray for it. Or he shows up and rattles things and gold dust falls and people start handling snakes and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. Have you noticed in the Bible it says they will handle snakes, not you or I? Amen? But here's the thing here as we talk about the Holy Spirit. What you see in Scripture are a couple of things. In the beginning, who created the heavens and the earth? God. 
We see in Colossians, I shared both of these past sessions, that all things were made by Christ, through Christ. The scripture points to Jesus also making. But do you know in Job 33 and 4, Job says, the Spirit of God made me. Look at the Holy Spirit. It's like we don't know what to do with him, and I get it. Today it has gone crazy. People want all kinds of miraculous things to happen. It's all about demonstrating him, so much so that we get away from the Scriptures. But what is the biblical picture that we see of the Holy Spirit? Listen to this verse in John 16, 7, what Jesus says. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. How many guys know that's a good thing? I tell you the truth, church. It is to your advantage that I go away, speaking of this ascension. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. I mean, first of all, he starts this verse. He says, Brian, it's for your advantage. Guys, I'm telling you, I'll never leave you or forsake you, and I'm taking off, and this is to your advantage. But let's be honest. If Jesus walked in here right now, which he is not going to do, and said, forget what Brian's saying and follow me, how many of you guys would leave your seats right now? Please raise your hand, because his message is going to be way better than what I'm going to say. Amen? You can ask him anything about marriage, anything about business, anything about hunting. I mean, you can have every conversation you want with Jesus. It's way better than anything I'm going to say, unless it's God's word. But yet Jesus said, better than him walking in here, it is better that he doesn't. It is better that he goes away, because once he goes out... You can only go with him where he is going. When we have the Holy Spirit, all of us can take who? God Almighty, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. And he tells us he will send us who? The helper. How many of you guys need help? Amen. I had a good groan there. Praise God. I mean, I need help with the task he's given me. I need help loving on the Jonathans around me. I need help, help with everything he has given us. And if we think about the purpose of Jesus coming, why did he come? I mean, just if you're open enough, what are some of the things God sent Jesus to accomplish? To die for what? Sins of the world. To go to the cross. To tell the world that he loved us. But do you ever think about what he actually came to do and accomplished that made all of that function? In the garden, they walked with the presence of God. Then they sinned. You get through to Genesis 6, and God says these funny things like, my spirit will no longer dwell with man. Jesus came and the blood was the way by which we're forgiven. But why was Jesus coming? Think about how much we hear about the Holy Spirit, but we sometimes just block it out. Even John the Baptist, a Levite, a lineage, says what? I preach a baptism of repentance, but one is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I mean, his introduction to Jesus is the Lamb of God, but one is coming after me that will baptize in the Holy Spirit. You see, what God's goal was from the beginning was restore us back to fellowship and friendship with God. David walked with him like that. The Spirit of God was on him. Everyone else it wasn't. We talked how Jesus now calls us friends. Why? Because we know his will. How? Because we've been given the Holy Spirit. This means you don't need the priest, you don't need the veil, you don't need the sacrifices. It means Jesus has accomplished all of it. And Jesus even spoke of this before he took off. I'm just going to go there for lack of time, don't worry. But he says, Luke 24, 49, it says, Behold, which means listen. 
I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in where? Jerusalem until you are clothed with power up on high. He's saying, I've showed you, I've walked with you, I've been a Jonathan and a leader and a Messiah to you, but before you go out and do any of this, I'm going to send this promise. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, meaning I'm about to go, but I'm going to send someone. He quoted here in Luke, I'm sending the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father, or who rather? The Holy Spirit. And we get to Acts 1.8, a verse that's quoted so much for the radical side of things because does God does manifest his presence through the person of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, go and wait. Wait in Jerusalem. He showed up to them in Galilee and gave them the Great Commission. And he shows up to them in Jerusalem. And we know the story. He says in Acts 1.8, you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That means to Liverpool, that means to California, that means to Colorado. Literally what Jesus is saying is, men, we're to gather together and not go and do any of this without whose power? The Holy Spirit. Why is this important? Can I just tell you today that Jesus did nothing but by the power of the Holy Spirit? How many years of ministry did Jesus have? Three and a half. He was 33, but his ministry didn't begin when? until he received his inheritance from God the Father. He comes down the Jordan River. We heard what John said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ gets baptized, and as he comes out of the water, who do we see there? The Trinity. God the Father speaking, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Who do we see next? Jesus, the second person, the Trinity. Who else shows up? The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove baptizing Jesus, anointing Jesus, and then Jesus' ministry began. Oh, he never sinned. He was all God, all man. But now his ministry begins. How do we know? Because he goes out to be tempted by Satan and overcomes the three things they fell like in the garden. And what does he do next? He goes out to the synagogue, and in Luke 4, he begins to tell the nation of Israel, quoted for you, Luke 4, 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, great Jesus, why is he upon only you? Because. Can I tell you that your life is a because? The Spirit of God is on you because he has anointed me. He goes out and tells the Jews, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to go, to proclaim, to heal the blind, the deaf, and to do miraculous things. I asked this question the other day. Let's be honest. How many of you guys ever tried to walk on water? You guys are crazier than I am. There's no way that's the amount of, you guys have never done it when no one's looking like, why couldn't you do it? Because you're not anointed to do it. You don't need to do it. If you did it, it would be all over YouTube. You'd be making all this money. It would all about you. I don't know how I'm doing it, but I'm walking on water. I never, ever need to walk on water. It would not be a good thing for me to do it. Though I would like to be able to, I'll worry about that when I get to heaven. Every single thing Jesus did, read the Gospel of Luke, it's about the Holy Spirit. Even when you read the book of Acts, it's amazing when you look for the Holy Spirit. I even believe one of Chuck Smith's older books, um, I forget what it's called now, but it's about the Holy Spirit. But he goes into how in the beginning of the book of Acts, we read these are all the things that were spoken through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. At the end of the book of Acts, we hear Paul challenging those religious leaders and said, didn't you listen to the Holy Spirit as he spoke through Isaiah the prophet? What is my pitch today as we know our work site? 
We know the people are going to bring around us. But now we're called to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know some of you are thinking, like, what does he mean? Is this a second or third baptism? Where are we going? I'm not going to go there today, but I'm going to say this. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. If you know that Jesus is Lord, you are baptized in the Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, he is in you. Now, to what degree is he going to manifest and you're going to pursue him and all of that? I'm not going to go there. I get it. We can talk about that offline. I see where this goes. I've read Pastor Chuck's book, you know, Charisma or Charismania, many years ago. Ephesians 1.13, listen to this. When you believed the gospel, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. If you are in Christ today, you have the Holy Spirit, you've been sealed, and the Bible radically says this. It says, Brian, it says you, wherever your name is. Our names are in there in the Lamb's Book of Life, amen. It says the same Spirit who raised Jesus is in you. You're praying to God, you can only do it by the Spirit. Jesus isn't holding your hand, he's leading us, but here's what we do. We think of the Holy Spirit because of the radical things we see online, because people want to bark like dogs and call down this and that, and hey, I'm not going to get in the way of what God's doing, but God is a God of order. That does still mean he can manifest. God can do whatever he wants. Even those who say gifts have ceased today, they still believe God can do whatever he wants. Amen. Let's just land there for a moment. But we don't always have to picture the Holy Spirit's work only with the radical things. You see, him manifesting his presence is one thing, but his bearing fruit in your life is something completely different. Amen? He is in you. He bears fruit. We read in John 15 how we're to abide in Christ. God is the vine dresser. You and I ripen. We grow. How is my marriage going to get better? In the Holy Spirit. How are you going to go to work and live out this call in the Holy Spirit? Did Jesus leave us or forsake us? No. How is he here? In the Holy Spirit. And when many people get turned off and say, well, I don't really want to focus on him, can I tell you today that we're going to look at the Holy Spirit for a moment? To leave these doors today, you need to be able to go in his power because you heard my testimony. You heard it was Galatians 5 that woke me up. All these verses about sin. Don't live in the flesh adulterous and infidelity and all these sinful thoughts that we live. And in Galatians 5, what does Paul say to the church? He says, don't gratify the flesh. Don't do it your way, Brian. You don't honor God. You don't love God. You don't know how to love your wife. You want to punch people in the face. You want it to be all about you. He says, instead, walk by the Spirit. And Galatians 5, what does he do? We have them on the screen. This is the fruit of the Spirit. For you and I as believers, don't just look for signs, miracles to be a confirmation God is working. The biggest thing you'll see is this fruit. When you look at a ministry and say, is this sideways? This is the example. We're told not to judge and condemn, but we are told to what? To gauge by the fruit. I love that saying that those who come into the church, you feed the sheep, you starve the goats, and you shoot the wolves. Amen? You want to check the fruit. When someone comes to marry my daughter, there's going to be some fruit. Oh, here's what you want to go do, drink and party and do this and this. I don't like the fruit. Get out of here, son. That's what's going to happen. But so for you and I, we say, what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in us? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. Against such there is no law. Why? You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. But in my life before Christ, did I have any of that? 
Could I really love? I mean, how did my love for my wife work out, by the way, in the fruit of the Spirit? Didn't exist. We got divorced. Can I love people? Only in Christ. Do I really have joy when things are doing things my way? Love, joy, and peace? Did I really have peace? Could I rest? Could I abide? No, I could never sleep. And I could go on all day about all these things in the fruit of the Spirit, but I want to just focus for a moment pertaining to me about self-control. I grew up being angry. I grew up being aggressive. I grew up martial arts. It was all about that. But I remember when I realized God was really doing a work in me by the way he would deal with my anger. And I'll share this story because it's pertaining to a Calvary Chapel in San Diego. It's a, a recent church plant down there. This is about four or so years ago. And I go down there and they want me just to share my story on like a Father's Day or one of these days. And as I'm down there, we get done at the end and the pastor says, do you mind if we just lay hands on you and pray? I'm like, okay, you know, we're in a big grass field. The building's getting, you know, redone and we're all outside. It's a sunny day and the leadership comes over and just puts hands on me and the pastor's praying and God's gonna bless and do this and this and being encouraging and he says, you know, I really feel like I have to say this to you and I'm thinking, okay, God, you know, I'm gonna test any prophecy anyway. I mean, you're not giving me scripture. You're giving me something I should hold accountable. And he said these words exactly. Someone is going to come alongside you for a year, and it is going to be very difficult. How many of you guys want to hear that today? Well, I'd prayed. Those guys were awesome. And, you know, prophecy is meant to encourage and all this stuff, but that's an encouraging word when you understand where I'm going. So I didn't think much about it. Okay, God, you know, I mean, I trusted the leadership. Someone's going to come alongside of me. It's going to be difficult for a year. Sounds great. So automatically I thought, you know, there's people in our church that are going through stuff. Maybe it's one of them. Maybe it's this intention. I don't know. What I didn't realize is that in California, you know, we have like a little 1,700 square foot home attached to someone else. There's an adjoining wall. And the guy who'd owned it, you know, it had been open for a while. And so he'd invited his son to live there. He didn't tell us anything about his son, you know. And by now, this is when my youngest son's about one or two. You know, we've been working on our marriage and... Christian Brian is no longer aggressive, angry, and crazy. He doesn't like to fight anymore. I'm good, you know, deal with it. And so I'm living next door to this guy who invites his son to take over the property. His son's about 40. He's had some crazy stuff happen to him when he was a kid. He's struggling with drugs. So can you kind of see where this is going? I go out one, one, one morning to go surfing with my friend, the guy called Matt. And he shows up to our garage, and he happens to have Greg Laurie, of all people I'm in the Calvary, on his radio. And so as we take off to surf, as my wife comes out to the garage, she hears this guy walking around his backyard, just swearing at Greg Laurie, mad at Greg Laurie, effing Christians this, Christians that, yada, 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 banging stuff, getting mad. It's been about a week or so the guy's been in. As I come home that day, as I come into the living room, I hear the door slide open, and there's very loud pornographic, I mean, noise coming out of his room. The guy's put pornos on his TV, and he's blasting these pornos as loud as you can imagine. And here's me with three kids. I'm like, really? This guy's doing this at about, what, 11, 12 in the afternoon? He begins to play the loudest rap you can at all hours. Crazy. As I begin to, you know, notice this is going on a lot. One of the days, he plays this, I believe it's NBA song, which goes, you know, F the police, at about 1 in the morning for about 20 minutes, just long enough so that the police can show up at him not get in trouble. My wife had called the police. This guy had known somehow because the police didn't handle it well that my wife had done it. As I'm laying in bed that night, I hear a loud thud outside, and I'm thinking, what is that? As I get up the next morning, my wife's car is outside, and it's keyed all the way around. There's a skate Bible sticker on our car, and the T is ripped off. 
There's a footprint on the door, and there's a hammer mark on the wall. But how can I prove who it is? As I go out that day, you know, seeing the guy, he's Brian, he's passive-aggressive, and listen, my whole family in England's crazy. I have friends that come over and stay with me all the time that aren't saved. At any time, if any of these guys wanted to go have a nice word with this guy, they could have. But I'm a pastor, and I'm holier than now, and I've read this verse, amen? So we go downtown one day, and how many guys know you just don't mess with someone's family? I mean, if you're a meathead, you just, you just don't mess with the dude and his family because that guy will run you over and kill you. That, that's just instinct, amen? I mean, I mean, I'm not saying do that, but I'm saying that's how you figure out what someone's really made of. So I go downtown one day, you know, we're doing this little street market. It's been about three days, and I'm thinking, did this really happen that night when I heard the bank? Could it have happened at church? As I come back down our alley, and by the way, all the neighbors now have noticed this. The guy drives like crazy, smashes in the trash cans, he throws chairs around, he's gone through stuff as a kid and he's messed up so I'm trying to have grace but as I'm pulling into the garage he comes flying around the corner loud music blasting pulls right up to me and as I look at him you know he's like staring out his window all crazy I'm like hey man and in my head I used to do this if I clench my fists I'm always ready to go it was terrible and I go I'm not going to get in a fight I'm not going to get in a fight so here I am pulling around the corner and Brian the guy preaching to you I step forward and go hey man can we just talk for a second like what about what about he's already like mad at me what do you want to talk about? Well, you know, there's been a lot of noise. My wife's car was keyed and this and this. What do, you, what do you think it's me? And then I kind of flip a little bit. He starts to make fun of me and begins to mock me and say, effing Christians. And I go, you know what, bro? And this is me getting slightly mad at the time. Since you've moved in, you've been playing pornographic noise over the wall. You've been doing this all hours of the day. My wife's car, my wife's this, my this. He goes, bro, I'm crazy. And then I was about to lose it. I pictured kicking the car, pulling his head out, you know, all the rest of it, going through the motions. I mean, in England as a kid, you learn when you talk to someone, you put your hand on your chin so you don't get headbutted. I mean, you learn to put your arm up because you're going to get hit. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, I'm a deacon at a church at the time, but the guy is saying everything he can. And I'm going, this guy is Satan. And he begins to flex in his car, and he goes, you know what, bro? He pulls into his garage. I've just got to realize this now. I've just pulled up with my wife. My daughter's about, what, five or six. My son's about one. And my older son's going into the garage, who, by the way, all he does is play baseball right now. That's all he does. So the guy pulls into his garage over his line. He's like, come at me, bro. Come at me, bro. And I'm like, and I, I begin to say, as I get mad, you are so blessed. Do you know that if I wasn't a Christian, I would go through you right now? And he begin, you know, and I'm saying the nicest things you can. I won't swear. I won't curse. Listen, for me, everything was anger. Everything was establishing this. And I told my son many years ago, if I'm never here and this guy jumps over the wall, bud, you can hit him, kill a home run. You know what to do. And so as the guy comes out, he goes, let me tell you something. And this is when it all went downhill. He goes, your effing wife and your effing kids. And I'm standing right here and he's in the garage with you. And my wife's standing right there. And by the way, she knows what my temper was like. And she's just like, and I remember feeling my fist. And I was like, and I could just see it. I could justify it. And he knew what he was doing because of where he's standing. And I remember saying, God, help me. And listen, I felt the presence of God. I know you're waiting for some really exciting story, you know, when you're road rage and all that. But I'm preaching this for a reason. I felt the presence of God like, no. I'm not going to blow my witness. I'm not going to do this. And here's what's crazy what happened. You could ask my son. 
as I'm doing this, my son is walking out the garage. The guy can't see him, and he's got a bat, and he's like, Dad. He's like, Dad, this is a true story. But as I begin to tell the guy to go back in his house and walk towards him, he runs in his house. He calls the police. I mean, he, he's telling them how I'm jumping over his wall. He's obviously crazy, but here's the idea. This happened for eight or nine months. We told his dad. We told his sister. We did everything we could. He did so many things. I remember going on a pastor deacon retreat within two days after that and saying, I don't know what to do. The guy's just going to get killed. I mean, my friends from England who were here, a very crazy guy that came to stay with me from England that ran a lot of stuff in London. I mean, great guy, believe it, but man, he was like excited to deal with it. This guy could have jumped over my wall. Listen, this is the kind of thing he would do. He would go outside with a bat and the pillars in his house were wood. He would just hit them. He would shoot pellet guns over the wall. I would call the police and they'd show up and they could do nothing. We went to that pastor deacon retreat. We got down on our faces and said, God, we get your word. We get what's going on. I'm a child of God. A weapon formed against me spiritually is going to prosper. God, can you deal with this? Do you know it had almost been a year? It had almost been a year and you know what comes into my mind? Someone very difficult is going to come alongside of you for a year. Do you know that I was always ruthless, getting into fights, getting into trouble? As a believer, I get it. I stepped back. But this was the time I remember God really showed me, Brian, you need to walk in the fruit of self-control. You can't justify when a guy almost runs you over on a road because of road rage. And as we prayed that night, literally, the night we got back, it's five in the morning, this guy starts smashing his wall on the inside of our house. Ask my wife, our kitchens are adjoined, hitting his own kitchen wall with a bat. I mean, he'd been molested when he was a kid. He'd been on all kinds of drugs. I mean, there's grace there. We prayed for probably an hour that morning. The cops show up to the front of the house. We had cameras. I have all this on footage, by the way. The guy runs out the front of his house with a 40, throws it in the road, and shouts effing Christians again. As the cop is pulling up, and he's like, what's going on, bro? What's happening? He watches this. Five or six cop cars show up, guy arrested, out of there. Amen? We can say praise God at the end of the story, even though it was crazy. The guy's doing better now. But what is my point? My point is I wouldn't have dealt with it that way. You wouldn't have dealt with it that way. I wanted to lay hands on that guy in a very different way. That would have brought me so much peace. But listen, that was when I realized, wow, God. Listen, I believe this as a church. There's saying we walk in grace, and then there's walking in it. They're saying, I'm going to move the mountain, and then we go and move it, and we don't speak to it. There's sitting in the grace of God, and listen to me, that's what the Holy Spirit is for. As you go out, I'm not telling you to go do it your way. I'm telling you, you've got to learn to do it God's way. The fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, all of these things. Why? Because my point in saying this is, I could have been in prison. I could have been in jail. I could have blown my witness. I could have been like David on the roof. What does the Bible say? Sin is crouching. The Bible says that Satan left him to return at opportune times. There will be seasons when Satan blatantly comes against you, is in opposition. And even if you don't believe that, in that he still has that power over us, we know he's the father of lies. So all the pornography, the anger, all the things contrary to God, who do they come from? Satan. God is only ever speaking his word to us. Amen. We need to walk in the Spirit. So here's the idea. Now that I am a Christian, now that I'm remarried, how do I apply this to my life? What I'm saying to you is being remarried to Tracy, I still need to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. I can say, well, with God, all things are possible, and they are. I can say I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, but does that mean my marriage is going to be better? 
Does that mean when you take a guy from Liverpool, England, who in the street, when they look at you and say, what are you looking at? When they want to take your jacket, when they want to push you, when they put you in a corner and it's fight or flight to a guy that has spat at people, swore at people, I've been ready to go. Is that going to just fall off me because I'm a Christian? Is someone like you, if you came to faith today, all the channels you have built in your head, which scientists tell us that, seven days, 14 days, 21 days, you begin to develop habits. Is that just going to fall away from you? So I get saved. I come to faith. Here's a guy who's passive-aggressive, fight or flight, married to a woman who's the opposite. Married to a woman whose dad wasn't around the law. Married to a woman whose mom was a more dominant character. So you put a guy who's passive-aggressive in a house who's angry, where a woman can be very quiet until she wants to blurt it all out, and then I explode. Is my marriage going to be better? How am I possibly going to get through this? Here's why I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Even if you took notes today, a lot of what I said you will not remember. You might read it in Scripture and go, oh, I remember this point. But those notes you took, the context in which you wrote them, are they really going to help you? The only person that's really going to help you is the Holy Spirit. Pastors won't be here. All your brothers in Christ aren't going to be there with you. They're a phone call away, a text away. But who was with me that night when I wanted to put the guy through the wall? The Holy Spirit. Who is with you in the midst of chaos? The Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Did God do it all? Yes. But did he call me to do it with him now? Am I saved, being saved, going to be saved? Yes. He could have took me 12 years ago, but he didn't. So my marriage is still being saved. My witness is still being saved. I'm still writing the book of my life as I continue to walk with Christ. Do you get where I'm going? Jesus said, Brian, rather than me hold your hand, it is better you have the Holy Spirit. Why? I can ask Jesus anything. He's right here. But for me to depend on the Holy Spirit, I've got to step back. I've got to withdraw. I've got to pray. I've got to pursue. I've got to pursue him, which, by the way, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Bible never refers to him as some mystical force like, you know, in Star Wars. The Bible says you can grieve him. The Bible says we can ignore him. Why do I think we don't see the manifest presence of God in our churches a lot of the time? Do we pursue love? Do we desire spiritual gifts, even prophecy? What is the Holy Spirit saying into our life? The Bible says it's God in us and through us, leading us, the Holy Spirit's power. I'm saying this to say, I was an angry guy. I know the verses. In your anger, don't sin. Go and sin no more. Can I tell you that being angry in itself isn't a sin? Jesus was angry in the temple, but it's your emotion when I went through anger management, you know what I learned? That I get pushed into a corner and I snap and the way I act, that's what's sinful. When Jesus went into the temple and in anger flipped the tables over, was that sin? No. Are you going to get angry and you're the loud guy and you're rowdy and crazy? That could be sin. Your wife could be angry. She might never speak. That could be sin. What I'm trying to say to you today is rather than send you out saying, here's what you need to do, I don't really know what you need to do. I know what I needed to do. I needed to say, I'm an angry dude. I'm a rowdy guy. I wanted to beat that guy up that was coming against my family, and it was justified. But God, I have to depend on you. What I'm saying to you, even as Pastor Rich said today, is as we're ending the service in a few moments, and we get into the text a little bit more, this is really about you and God. It is your walk. You're the one that needs to figure it out. I had to learn I'm the angry guy in the marriage. My wife had to learn I'm the quiet one that doesn't meet him where the rubber eats the road. I don't speak into him. In your anger, don't sin. I could say it all day. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. But we got to realize, how do I apply that? 
Some of you in this room, the best way to fix your marriage, go and get anger management because you need it. I believe every guy I've ever met needs anger management. Amen? You might say, well, I'm not an angry guy. If I began to share stories right now of people being molested or killed or going through hard times, you would get angry. But it's how we react. What I'm saying is I don't want this conference to be, here's what Brian said. I want it to be, I'm following the Holy Spirit. Brian needed the fruit of self-control. I need to learn to deal with things you see. For me, it was anger. What is it for you? What we always do too now, it's so popular, is everyone has a porn problem. So you go everywhere looking at behinds and boobs and say, I shouldn't look at that. Or I'm an angry guy, so I'm going to wait till they make me mad like the Angry Birds trailer. You seen that? I'm just so angry, I'm going to focus on it. But let me tell you, if you have a porn problem, is God going to show up and just turn the computer off? Is he going to take all those things you can see in front of you off the screen? Is he going to take everything you're looking at away from you? No. He's empowered us to take the steps ourselves. If there's bad habits, things from the past that want to creep in, is God going to call those people that call you up to want to go get drunk to drop dead? No. He's given us the power. He's given us the ability. But what we do in this culture is do we really turn to God? And I'm saying this for this reason. We've began to worship things that are created instead of who? The creator. But can I tell you this? The motives you have for pursuing porn, the motive itself originally is from God. The motive that wants to fix this situation with this guy punching him, the motive comes from God. What I mean is this. We were all made to worship, but we are living in a world where we were worshiping what? All the wrong things. Porn is satisfying when you're meant to get it from God. Smacking that guy in the face is satisfying, but it's meant to come from who? God. Can someone just give me some of the names for God? God is what? The healer. You've got Jehovah Rapha, Nisi, Sidkenu. God is all these things, but do you know one of God's names? One of God's name, literally in Exodus 34, 14, God says, I am the Lord your God. My name is Jealous. Can you imagine if we named the men's conference Jealous? Come to the men's conference Jealous. What do I mean, God? Why are you jealous? What is your name about? You see, for you and I to be jealous, it's sinful. For me to idolize something you have, it's sinful. For you to want to do what I do or have something I have, it's sinful. Why? Because we're all fallen. But you realize that because God made everything for himself, for him not to be jealous for the worship of everything, it would be simple for God. The Bible says he that is above is what? Above all. God's in heaven, created us to sing and praise and worship him. So we begin to worship pornography. We begin to worship anger. We begin to fall into avenues, all these things in our marriage and situations. Well, God never made us for that. I love what John Piper says. He says evangelism exists because worship doesn't. It exists, but we're worshiping the wrong things. We're caught on the wrong things over and over and over. What I'm saying is my sin was anger and the way I would act. I don't know what your sin is. I'm also not going to say here and say, I don't struggle with pornography because the second I say that, you know what I'm going to struggle with? God's going to go, really, bro? You got this? Let's see how strong your flesh is. I'm not even going to speak that over us. But I'm saying it isn't just what's on the computer anymore. Now it's just life. It scales down the street. It's anywhere. We live in a world that, and this is, I don't know why I'm going to share this to you, but I remember a friend of mine said, Brian, what do you do when you're walking down the beach and a woman comes running along and, you know, part of her chest is bouncing? He goes, when do I turn away? And I'm thinking, what do I say to him? I said, well, what would you do if a naked guy ran in front of you? Don't go there. And I said, how would you know he's naked? 
You're obviously looking somewhere. Now, if you keep looking, you've got something else going on we're going to turn from. Amen? But I said in your life, you've got to know where you're looking and where you're going and turn back and say, God, lead me in these situations. I have to take my anger and say, Holy Spirit, help me. You have to take your walk and say, Jesus, help me. God is jealous of my worship, and not because he is an overlord and he's mad at you. He says, Calvary Chapel, straighten them all out. They better get it. No, he loves us. But he loves us with the conviction that we're his children and we are missing many of the blessings of God because we are distracted by what? So many other things. I mean, think about this prayer we pray. Lord, lead us not into temptation. How many of you guys actually pray that not wanting to be led into temptation? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from what? Evil. We pray that, but do we believe it? If we're honest, you know what we do a lot? We come to God after we've sinned, after we've missed it, and we said, God, what are we doing? My point today is as we go out, the Holy Spirit isn't waiting on us, or we're not waiting on the Holy Spirit, rather. He's waiting on us. He already showed up in Acts 1.8. He already showed up in the New Testament. He's already going, so we're saying, God, help me after I've sinned. Do you know the Bible doesn't teach us that? It tells us his grace and his mercy. But let me read this verse to us in Hebrews 4. It should be up on the screen. What I'm saying is this, is, as we go out, as we pursue God, as we live out the Great Commission, as Jonathan or whoever comes alongside us and others around others, nothing is going to get done without the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not just telling you to lick, click a box and say, I did this, did this, did this. That is white knuckle in it. That will get you so far. What I'm telling you is start with the Holy Spirit. I didn't punch that guy today and get in trouble because of the Holy Spirit. I can overcome things only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in Hebrews 4.15. It says, Church, we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses. Guys, he gets it. He gets your mad. He gets your frustration. He gets your lust. He gets your flesh and your body. He created it. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Do you know the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way? His opposition came against him. Sinful things came towards him. Did he divulge? Did he pursue it? Of course he didn't. But he knows what it feels like. It says then in verse 16, let us then, which means here's what you need to do. Let us then approach God's throne of grace and confidence so that we may receive what? Mercy and find help in our time of need. That doesn't just mean when you feel the worst that you've been because you've fallen into everything. It means even before. God, you know what my eyes want to look upon. You know where my fists want to go. You know the things I care about or that are going to come towards me. I don't feel like I'm a guy that wants money. I mean, I live off support. I'm figuring out how God's doing this. But I don't know that in a few seats I couldn't go, wow, God, I want more and more. I could get caught up in some false doctrine. No, I'm going to go to God and say, God, lead me. Don't leave me in the temptation. As this guy pulled around the corner knowing he's ready to go, why? He doesn't have Jesus. He doesn't need to love me. He doesn't care about me. He already hates me. You've seen what he did to my wife's car. God, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me. What I'm saying to you is the issue really isn't our view of sin. It's our view of God. It's our view of the Holy Spirit. It's a view of his power. Is his power in this room or not? Yes. Is the same spirit that was in Christ in you or not? Yes. We see this throughout of Scripture, and this is what we can learn, is that we need to learn to walk in the Holy Spirit in the practical things of life. 
I've been involved in a lot of different ministries where they only see the Holy Spirit's power in the dramatic. I see more power in me denying my flesh than in anything God's going to manifest. All those things are going to pass away. But show me a man who says, you know what? I am going to go for a hunt. I am going to take my tools. I am going to bring a friend. We are going to be accountable. And I'm going to depend upon this power to accomplish our task because that is the Bible. Do you see how simple it is? But here's the, here's the difficult part. The ins and outs are what you fill in. The ins and outs are the marriage you put before the Lord, the job you put before the Lord, the sin you put before the Lord. Because Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, so I also send you. His ministry didn't begin until the Holy Spirit was upon him. He went out in the Holy Spirit's power. Listen, we could go into this if we had the time. When he spoke to that tree and cast the fig, what's he speaking? Faith. I mean, he's speaking faith into that. When he spoke to the woman at the well with the five husbands, he has a word of wisdom or knowledge. He knows something he shouldn't have known. It's all the Holy Spirit's power. It's no different for you and I. But my point today is as he begins to lead you that way to bear fruit, to shine the light, to be the salt and the light in this world, it's only going to happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's the one that builds the house. He said, feed my sheep, go and make disciples. It's his responsibility to save them. Amen. The Bible says, lest God builds the house, it will not stand. So Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. We read, the same Spirit that is in Christ is in us. And 1 John 2.20, and I'm closing with these thoughts, he says, Brian, church, whoever you are today, you have an anointing from the Holy One. It's the oil they would rub upon themselves to say, I'm set apart for God. You have an anointing to do the things God has called you to do. We know that Joel says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on what? All flesh. All of his believers. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might, not by power, but by who? The Holy Spirit. And one of my favorite verses in scripture, Romans 8, 14. All who are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I know you believe. You came here to get fed. We've hung out today. It's a beautiful day. We could do other things, but we're here to hear God Galatians 6, 8, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction, but whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit, they will reap eternal life. We began today saying, God, what's our call? Go, whatever you're doing. It could be a phone call today. It could be going out of your way to someone. It could be fixing some of the chaos you may have fallen into through your own means or someone else's. Who are you going to be around? Are you going to say, God, I'm going to finish good Paul said, keep your eyes upon the prize. I need this friend and that friend. I want to go reach out to this guy. Maybe there's a relationship that needs to be fixed. But I'll tell you as we go today, what I want to pray for is simply for God's presence and his power and the Holy Spirit for you to recognize it in your life. When you want to say that thing to your wife because you're right and she's wrong, I get it. I know that Eve wants to rule. I've read Genesis 2 and 3. Amen? I'm with you, but don't tell her that. Amen? You need the Holy Spirit. When your kids are doing things and they need a hiding because they're almost old enough to be a man, but you don't want to have to do that because you've got the Holy Spirit. When the boss that you can't stand right now is taking advantage of you because you're a Christian and you want to quit, well, God wants to save them through you, but not by your power, by the Holy Spirit. Amen? As the Father has sent me, so I sent you. Let's just do this, guys, as a time of response. Let's just stand and put out our hands. I just want to pray a blessing over us. God, we receive from you today. God, you are our Father. 
We can call you dad. God, your face does shine upon us. You are everything, God, the center of the universe. But God, today we be reminded we are the object of your affection. You knew we'd sin. You knew we'd lust. You knew we'd fail. You knew we'd be angry. You knew of everything we've done wrong, even sitting here today, God, the thoughts in our mind. But God, you said yes to the cross. You said yes to sending your son and Jesus. You came in your name to die for us. But God, today we ask just for your power, for your Holy Spirit. He's alive and within us. And God, maybe we've grieved you. Maybe we've quenched the Holy Spirit. But God, today we begin to listen. We begin to hear. We'd say, show me the fruit that I'm called to walk in. We'd say, God, we depend upon you. Lead us by your spirit. You said this power would come upon us and we would be your witnesses. Literally, your martyrs throughout the world living for you. God, I pray blessings upon these men. I pray over marriages right now, God, that you are still there to pastor them. The God who you bring together, let no man separate. The pain and hurt in this room, God, we speak life right now. And a weapon spiritually will form against those marriages. We lift those covenants up to you. God, I pray over fathers and sons in this room. God, bless them, lead them, direct them, God, as they, they live as example for you. God, I pray for those who are just struggling so difficult with sin. As those seasons come and the devil comes to tempt, as the flesh is weak, God, you're with them, Jesus. You're interceding for them. You told Peter you were praying for him, God, and we know today you're praying for us. God, we just say yes to you, yes to your cross, yes to you, God, in heaven, and yes to you, Holy Spirit, as you lead us, as you shape us, and as you form us all the more into the image of Christ. God, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we say, amen. Thank you, God. Let's just spend some time worshiping our Lord and Savior. And maybe you just stop and say, wow, God, I remember when you saved me. I see the path ahead. It is going to wear me out. But, friend, that is where the miracle is going to be. I'm not talking about this prosperity and everything's with gold and you get what you want. I'm talking about God shaping you. There's a very famous verse in Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for the good to those who are love God and are called according to his purpose but if only we read 10 verses earlier what Paul actually says I don't consider the present sufferings that are going on to be worthy of the glory that's going to be revealed in Christ Jesus what does 829 say we're being made into his image God knows where you are he knows what you're going through through and he told you today it's by the Holy Spirit's power let's worship him and praise him church <laughs>